Hello everyone, this is MJ Haig, and welcome to MJ's Reviews, Thoughts, and More. Today I will be reviewing five books from Vince Flynn. Term Limits, Transfer of Power, The Third Option, Separation of Power, and Executive Power. Vince Flynn tells a story that feels like it could be, quote, ripped from the headlines, unquote instead of a masterful work of fiction. Vince is a master of character development, while placing the reader in the midst of the thrill ride that grabs hold and refuses to let you go. Term Limits is the first book written by Vince Flynn. What happens when corruption pushes the, quote, good guys, unquote, to take the law and matters into their own hands? In term limits, we get to see what happens when a patriot is pushed beyond his breaking point by his own government, and the only source of judgment that he sees are the actions of him and his team, even if it is outside of the rule of law. What would you be willing to do if your friends, family, or co workers were killed and you knew someone? who knew the answers, but would not share them with you? Would you allow the killer or killers to escape justice or punishment? Or, would you take matters into your own hands to ensure that they were punished? If it meant becoming a criminal yourself. The question then becomes, is it justice or revenge? And does it really matter? Transfer of Power is the second book written by Vince Flynn. In Transfer of Power, we are introduced to Mitch Rabb. On a side note, I will be reviewing books in order of publication. Some books later in the series are written about an earlier time of Mitch's life, but I still think the reader could and should Read them in the order that they were published. I believe the reader actually gets more out of the story by reading them in this order. By the time you read the two prequels, you will have already come to know Mitch, which makes the story told make more sense even though they are told out of chronological order. It is similar to meeting someone after high school is complete and then hearing stories of their time in high school. For me, It makes it easier to appreciate actions taken and to be able to see how they led Mitch to grow and develop into the man that he is today. Transfer of Power tells the story of terrorists who violently take control of the White House. Some people escape into the bunker while others are captured or killed. But those who escape to the bunker aren't as safe as they believe. Transfer of Power is a three-ring circus. One story told about the terrorist, a second story told about the men and women trying to reclaim the White House, and a third story of those people who are actively trying to hold on to their newfound power that they received at the start of this crisis. A fast-paced story that is so real that the reader shouldn't feel bad wondering if the story is real or fiction. 
I have read this story many times. Each time, I find myself getting sucked into the story and surprised on how fast time flies. Flies by during my reading sessions. The third option is the third book published by Vince Flynn. We find Mitch tasked to take care of a situation in Germany. He has some on-site support who also have been given special instructions from their employer. Mitch takes care of business only to find himself in a spot of trouble. Mitch finds himself in a situation that he has to clean up quickly before trying to find the cause no matter where or who it leads him to. Mitch does what he does best. Quickly assesses the situation and takes action. No need for orders or to ask permission. Mitch finds himself pushing the boundaries and using his direct-to-the-point style to find the answer to who set him up and why. When you train an attack dog, it is best to maintain control of their leash, lest they turn on you, if they ever deem you a threat. Another timely written story, full of action and thought-provoking themes. A great addition to the Mitch Rep collection. I've used it to kill an afternoon full of boredom more than once. Separation of Power This story takes place right after the completion of the third option. Mitch still has not found out who has targeted him, and the stakes are rising. Now, as Dr. Irene Kennedy is also a target. Irene was handpicked to take over as the director of CIA from Director Stansfield, her boss and mentor, before he died from cancer. There were people who did not want to see Kennedy take over as the director of the CIA, as she would continue in the same fashion as Stanfield, and not allow outsiders to influence her decisions and share secrets unnecessarily. Mitch was tasked to deal with some nuclear weapons that were discovered to be hidden under a hospital in Iraq. Israel provided the intelligence to the U.S. in hopes that they would take care of it but they put a short timeline on the mission. Either the U.S. would take out the weapons in two weeks, or else Israel would take matters into their own hands, level a hospital, and destroy the nukes themselves. Mitch now has two priorities that he needs to be dealt with at the same time. Deal with the nukes and prove that they were actually there and figure out who is trying to kill him and stop them once and for all. Plenty of action, drama, and thrills to drive the story forward. A great addition to the Mitch Rap collection. Big hat tip to Vince Flynn on his ongoing efforts in the thriller genre. Executive Power After spending years in the shadow, shadows, Mitch is thrust into the spotlight and praised for his role in fighting terrorism. Now marked for death by those terrorists that he had been fighting, Mitch must balance his new life, working from within the headquarters of the CIA, 
and as a newly married man, dealing with the pressures to let others fight as he directs the troops from home, instead of being the tip of the spear himself. Mitch finds his way back into the thick of things. There's no sense sidelighting your best resource, especially when he is not ready to take a back seat in the fight anyways. There are those actors that are trying to start another worldwide war. Never a dull moment in Mitch's life. My ratings are such. Term limits. 4 out of 5 stars. Transfer of power. 4.5 out of 5 stars. Third option. 4.5 out of 5 stars. Separation of power. 4.5 out of 5 stars. Executive power, 4.2 out of 5 stars. More reviews of Vince Flynn's to follow. Rest in peace, Vince Flynn. A bright light extinguished too soon. July 2020 brings calls to defund the Seattle Police and spend the money on other social programs. The plan, proposed by Decriminalize Seattle and King County Now, would cut the Seattle Police budget by 50%. The four-point proposal for defunding the Seattle Police Department? 1. Remove Seattle's 911 dispatchers from police control. Two. Scale up community-based solutions to public safety. 3. Fund a community-led process to quote-unquote imagine life beyond policing. 4. Invest in affordable housing. K. Waking Garrett said, quote-unquote, Police don't stop crime, they respond to crime. What really prevents crime is access to resources. Quote, Senior Deputy Mayor Mike Fong stated that any quote-unquote blunt efforts to drastically slash the police department's 2020 budget quote-unquote would not serve our communities. They instead would leave the police department quote-unquote unable to conduct basic functions, as reported by Daniel Beekman, the Seattle Times staff reporter. My thoughts follow. Why remove 911 dispatchers from police control when they are civilians that direct traffic to its needed resource? The 911 operators direct phone traffic to police, fire, and medical as needed, many times having to include more than one service to respond, all the while trying to gather needed information from the person on the phone to help make sure that the first responders have a clear picture of the situation and have some idea what they are getting themselves into. If you move 911 operators to another governing body, what would that accomplish, other than to add another layer of bureaucracy to slow things down and make things more complicated? Moving 911 dispatchers from one organization to another does nothing to free up budget money to spend elsewhere. The money still needs to be spent. 
All you do is take it from one line item and move it to another line item. Nothing is saved. The police budget still goes down, but another department budget goes up. How does that help funding other solutions when the money is still needed for the original process? I have no problems increasing budgets for community-based solutions. You have two options that I see to make that happen. Take money away from somewhere else, as in a zero-sum game. You have, say, $100 million to spend on the budget for 2021. If you want to add services, you then need to find where you will take the money from, and, and in turn, what service will be reduced or eliminated. The other option is to add revenue as needed. In this setup, all departments would have to submit the total money needed for the next budget cycle. Once the total is calculated, it would be compared to the current budget funds. And if more money is needed to fund the budget, then the discussion is had to make plans to increase the income the department needs to balance the budget. Revenue could be increased through donations, taxes, seizures, sale of property, investments, and or fines paid. The main point is the government would need to operate on a balanced budget year after year. Investing in affordable housing. Huh. Where would you find that in Washington? Demand is so high, when someone tries to sell their home right now, they are offered, often dealing with multiple buyers, wanting the property, causing a bidding war. Causing the final price to be higher than the original asking price. Now this is great for the person selling their property, but how does this help Seattle find locations to create affordable housing? To have affordable housing, you would either need to have the cost subsidized by someone or find a property owner willing to provide housing at a set price for some other concession, such as maybe a tax break. As far as police not stopping crime, all you need, all you need to do is pay attention to the highway to see how its presence alone is enough to get people to follow the law. Picture this scene. You are traveling down the highway, moving at the speed, mi- speed limit, if not slightly beyond it. Traffic is moving smoothly. All of a sudden, all you see in front of you is brake lights. The traffic is slowed down so much that it feels like rush hour. You look around for some reason for the sudden change. There's no accident. Weather is good. It's not too bright, no glare, making it hard to see. There's no rain, the road's dry. Then up ahead you see it, a police car sitting alongside the road. The reason why everyone slowed down, now painfully obvious. No one wanted to pass by a police car moving too fast and risk getting a ticket, so the cars in the lead slowed below the speed limit, which caused all the cars following to do the same. You look down at your dashboard, and see that you're now doing 10 miles per hour under the speed limit, and you're having to slow down even more to keep from getting too close to the car in front of you. What was once a smooth flow of traffic has become an ugly wave of traffic. That is, until the lead car has gotten out of sight of the police 
and feels comfortable enough to start speeding up again. Before you know it, traffic has adjusted to the increased speed and has smoothed out again. This clearly shows the mere presence of the police modified behavior and stopped crime from happening. Remember, speeding is a crime. Although some people see speed limits as an inconvenience more than a matter of safety. Unfortunately, police spend much of their time and effort responding to crime instead of being a calming presence to prevent it. We as citizens, though, have a lot to do with that fact. If people didn't break the law, creating a need for the police to have to respond, then the police would have more time to patrol and maybe by their presence help keep people following the rules. Once a situation has arisen, though, the police have to transition from patrolling their areas to becoming a first responder. If Seattle moves forward with defunding the police, that means less police to respond to all those shots fired calls at 2 a.m. Less police to respond with when the little boy or girl goes missing while at the park or near the water. There's even talk about removing whole departments, such as SWAT, who responds when the situation becomes so dangerous that the regular police either need more help or better tactics or weapons to resolve the situation. A woman is looking down the barrel of a gun as an abusive stalker has broken into her home with the intent to kill her. For no other reason than if he can't have her, then no one else can either. The fact that the woman has never even met the stalker, and the relationship is all in his mind, regardless, the woman is still in mortal danger. The police arrive on the scene and realize that they are in over their heads. There are three doors to enter to the house, the front, the back, and the garage door. The front of the house is fully covered by windows, so the police have no approach to the house that they can take without risking being fired upon. SWAT has been disbanded just weeks prior. The patrol car, which early would have had two officers assigned to it, now only has one. To make matters worse, the patrol officer has not drawn their weapons since the last time they had to qualify. They have been on the force for years, most of it spent behind a desk, after it was found that the officer had an act for paperwork and organization. But once the defunding of the Seattle Police Department took effect, all officers had to spend some, if not most of their time, on the streets, in an attempt to have some presence, even if it was lacking. The police officer is leaning out of the patrol car, talking on the radio, trying in vain to get some backup before moving in to assess the situation. The stalker watches the police officer's unwillingness to approach the house as a sign to speed things up and maybe escape before help arrives. Suddenly, a gunshot is heard from inside the house. The police officer runs to the front door as the stalker goes out the back. By the time the officer has kicked the front door open, the stalker has already run out the back door, rounded the side of the house, and is waiting at the corner of the house for the officer to enter the front of the house. The stalker gets ready to run to his car, but then changes his mind and goes into the house after the police officer, gun up, 
and ready to fire. A second shot is fired, and the police officer is shot as they are checking for vital signs on the victim lying on the floor near the rear door. The stalker continues out the rear door and heads to his car. He drives away. Minutes pass, and a second patrol car is finally sent to the house only to find two victims, the homeowner and the first police officer, both dead from a single gunshot. Final situation. Driving in Seattle, and as you approach an intersection, you tap your brakes and suddenly the truck behind you slams into you so hard that you are pushed into the intersection. The rear of your car is severely damaged, but the truck looks only to take minor paint damage. The driver gets out of his truck and sees nothing that a wash wouldn't take care of wrong with the front of of his truck, and then he looks at your car. The trunk is standing up, and the rear of the car is crushed in. The truck driver heads back to his truck and takes off. He's only a couple blocks from the highway, and then a short drive home. If he hurries, he can still get home and wash his truck before the game comes on, and then he wouldn't have to face another ticket or insurance increase. This would help. This would be his third accident this year, and he can't afford a higher insurance bill, or worse, to lose his license. You know what they say, no cop, no fall. The other driver can file a report and get their car repaired without his rates going up, so he just leaves the scene. The other driver pulls their face out of the airbag that went off as they were hit from behind. They were dazed enough that it took a while to start to move after the accident happened. The truck that hit them has already left the scene before anyone could get a description or license plate number. Calling 911 to report the accident, upset that they would be late for supper and would have to take the bus to work next week because they only had one car and no extra money to rent a car or get this car fixed. The 911 dispatcher takes the information down and upon hearing the second vehicle has left the scene, proceeds to give the website for the driver to download the report so that they can fill it out and send it back to the contact information once complete. The dispatcher then recommends calling a tow truck to remove the damaged car from the road as soon as possible as not to get a ticket for blocking the intersection the next patrol officer that happens by would give. I think instead of looking to defund the Seattle police, we need to find ways to increase their budget. Add more training, use of force, community relations, target acquisition and distinction, among other training. We ask them to put their lives on the line to serve and protect us. The least we can do is to make sure that they are well trained for the duties that we expect them to carry out. I mean, they are human, just like us. We should do what is necessary to provide what they need to do their jobs safely, correctly, and to be able to go home to their families every night. It is what we want for ourselves, to go home safely every night, correct? Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star rating 
as this helps others find my podcast. You can also send me an email at contact at New episodes are available on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and listen to MJ's reviews, thoughts, and more. Until next time, have a good week. This is MJ, signing off.